Hello and welcome to this week's 1201 podcast. I am here once again with Callum Roper. Hello there, everyone. How are you doing? Ollie Warwin. Hello, everyone. And Bradley Alsop. Happy Sunday, folks. My name is Callum Watts, and today we are going to be responding mainly to uh, Rishi Shunak, the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer's budget for the country, um, a budget which is, is uh, hoped by him to be uh, a sort of recovery budget. This is the end of the pandemic. This is about um, uh, recovery, except that they there is a note of caution involved uh, with the Chancellor. There's a, a, a sort of return to the old Tory ways of saying that uh, we need to uh, balance the books, that the uh, pandemic needs to be paid for. And uh, one of the key ways that this is going to be done is by uh, effectively, in real terms, cutting the pay of the very people who have been saving our lives over the course of the pandemic. I'm, of course, talking about the 1% pay rise in huge, huge inverted commas um, for nurses. Uh, always worth remembering that inflation happens every year for this year, it, and that erodes the value of money to the extent this year it's predicted to uh, depreciate by 1.5%. Next year, it is expected to depreciate by 1.8%. So if your pay is going up by 1%, that means you're missing out on 0.5 and then 0.8%. Um, so it's a real terms cut um, that the uh, Tory government is imposing uh, on our nurses, uh, which is a uh, disgrace and NHS staff in general. Meanwhile, the rest of the public sector isn't getting anything at all. So we'll be discussing that utter disgrace of a policy, amongst other things. Uh, we'll also be discussing other elements of the budget as well, uh, including a minimum wage rise, which is equally Equally absurd, uh, especially and pitiful, especially when also lined up against a lack of or the, a freeze on the tax threshold. That's the level at which uh, you have to pay tax, um, which will also mean that people at the lower end of the spectrum will be proportionally paying more tax than the government at the end of a, pan a pandemic where people have been losing out anyway. Um, we'll be discussing the opposition's response to it, of course, Keir Starmer and the Labour Party, um, and but also ending hopefully on a positive note, talking about uh, how uh, we're going, how the workers of this country are going to react to it, how uh, the left should react to it, as usual, um, and seeing how uh, we can improve the world as a consequence of the conditions in which we find ourselves. But to return. To the issue at hand, obviously, as I said before, uh, nurses have been on the front line of the pandemic. Many of them have died uh, in the line of duty over the last year. Many of them have been sick. Uh, many of them are going to be sick in due course, uh, suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, from the sheer strain that they have been under. Um, at the moment, the majority of uh, NHS staff who are off sick are off sick with stress and anxiety, which is quite understandable. Um, you would have thought, even from a public relations point of view, uh, the government would want to reward those people with uh, something um, more than a badge, which I think was something that was proposed. Um, but unfortunately, they are instead proposing to, in real terms, cut their pay. Um, many people have made the comparison, of course, to last year when we were all encouraged to clap for carers. Now this is a slap in the face, a slap, a slap for carers instead. Um, so how, how does this come about? Why do, the, um, why do the Tories feel like they can get away with this sort of thing? Um, because as I say, it would be 
it would be so easy, easy for them to uh, raise the pay of NHS workers. And something I often thought about, you know, Boris Johnson is, you know, he is supposed to be making a, a clean break, if you like, from the Cameron and Osborne days of austerity, um, which are obviously making, you know, people miserable. And, you know, if I think back to 2010, you know, uh, when I first got involved in politics, really, I was thinking, yes, what the Tories are obviously going to do is they're going to implement austerity, they're going to suppress wages, they're going to make things miserable for a few years. And then just before the next election, they're going to ramp up public spending and, and win back everyone's uh, trust by by making them feel good about, uh, about the future. And obviously, we're still a little bit far away from uh, a general election that could happen in 2024, possibly in 2023. Um, do you think that's part of their strategy, Bradley, um, to, to, to basically make things as miserable as possible for everyone and then, and then ramp it up uh, later? Or, uh, or, or is there something else going on? I, I think there's no surer sign of a confident government than one that's happy to take what is going to surely be, uh, on the surface of it, immensely unpopular and immoral policy positions. It reminds me a little bit of the the, the infamous dementia tax that, that Theresa May rolled out in 2017 that was such an obviously bad policy decision um, that, that, you know, potentially risked upsetting quite a firm part of the Tory base. And, and she did that because at the time, the Conservative Party were incredibly um, confident about their ability to win the 2017 snap election, you know, because of all the obvious flaws with the Corbyn project, because the Labour Party was in complete inner turmoil, uh, still is in some ways. Um, you know, Corbyn was regularly getting an absolute uh, bruising in the press. Uh, you know, the anti-Semitism crisis was, was really beginning to come into its own. Labour couldn't get its act together on Brexit. All those things, you know, and you had a Theresa May who was supremely confident. So the Tories felt quite com- quite happy that they could get away with, with things like the dementia tax. And I suppose ultimately, in some ways, they did. Obviously, Corbyn did a lot better in that election than was expected. But um, and, and May had a lot of problems following that election. Um, but in some ways, they, they did sort of get away with, with putting policies out there like that. So I, I think... I think the Tories are looking across um, the benches. Metaphorically, I don't think they're meeting him. Are they, are they, they are having in-person sessions now, aren't they? I don't know, in Parliament. But anyway, either way, they're, they're looking across the benches, whether literally or metaphorically. Um, and and I, I don't think they feel particularly worried by Starmer or, or his team. So I think they can get away with stuff like this. I, I think the Tories are, are never really going to want to raise the, the pay of public sector workers. It just fundamentally goes against how they do things and, and how they see the world and, and, and how they see the role of government. But I think if they were really feeling pressure from the opposition and and were in trouble in the polls and, and public opinion, I th- I think you know that you could see how they might offer something a bit better than this, and they might feel forced to do it. Um, but I think they're looking across at Starmer and his team and, and are seeing no immediate threat there whatsoever. So they feel quite confident that they're able to to do this. Uh, and and it, it is disgusting. Uh, you know, you see the clips. I was watching the clips earlier. Of uh, Boris out on the doorstep with Rishi Sunak clapping um, for for uh, nurses. At the time, there was all these people on the left that said this is all gesture politics. When it comes to a pay rise for nurses, it's not going to happen. These people aren't going to do it, and this is exactly what's come to pass. But you watch that footage, and you you've got Boris clapping, and he's saying, uh, you know, oh well, jolly well done to you all. You know how he creates his character for himself for this jolly man. Um, and and and, he, and he's saying all this stuff about how you know anything you need, and he's like, "Isn't that right, Rishi?" And Rishi's like, "Yeah, anything you need." There is exact words like, "Anything you need, you'll get it." Is are the words that Sunak says. Um, fast forward, you know, however many months later, and they're they're offering what is in effect a pay cut, and it, it's it's frankly disgusting. Um, but you know, the way they'll try and get through any opposition to it is, as we've already seen, this divide and conquer strategy. They'll they'll say, oh, well, other public sector workers aren't going to get a pay rise, which is a bizarre argument because obviously they should be getting one as well. You know, the, the, the answer to that is we'll give everyone a pay rise, not give no one a pay rise. Um, and, you know, they'll pit them against private sector workers as well and say none of those guys are getting a pay rise. 
and it and it'll it'll become an argument around who deserves a pay rise, who doesn't, and is trying to find some way of measuring who deserves one and who doesn't. When actually the answer is pretty obvious. Both in terms, it would be better in terms of the general economy. You put money in the pockets of ordinary people; they're going to spend it in their local economies. They're going to spend it in their local high streets, uh, much more than than sort of you know corporations and, and hedge funds getting the money, which will just be stored somewhere to to make quick financial transactions, which might might end up you know with with stock shorted and all the rest of it. it. Might end up with people losing their jobs actually when companies change hands. If you put the money in the hands of ordinary people. They're going to spend it on their high streets, which is exactly what we need coming out of a national pandemic and one of the countries that has one of the worst economic records coming out of it. That's exactly the sort of policy we need, a policy that gets money being spent more and circulating more in the local economy. Um, so it's, be- it's better for the, econ- the economy at large and for local businesses and local people. Um, and obviously, it's, it's better for all those workers that get that pay rise. Um, that so that's really what what the argument should be. Every, everyone in the public sector who, who the government directly controls their wages should be getting a pay rise, but the government should also be be looking to private businesses to also put pay, pay rises um, in for staff where they can. And if the government needs to support that in a short term basis, then they should be doing so. That's what's going to get the economy back off the ground and running. Not you know sort of penny pinching around. Oh, you know the idea that we can't afford it. The idea that we can't afford a pay rise for nurses is, is frankly ridiculous. Um, the, the amount of money that would be needed, I've not sat under the back of a fag packet calculations here, but you know the amount of money needed to give even all poor public sector workers uh, a decent pay rise, but it's considerably beyond the 1%, uh, it, it, it's still going to be marginal amount of money compared to national expenditure each year. So it's really cynical. I think it, it, it comes partly because, not, not entirely, but partly because we're, we've got an opposition that's not got their act together and isn't in a position to effectively put pressure on the government at the moment. Actually, I think on the uh, on your point about the uh, physicality of uh, the uh, of the House of Commons, I think they are having uh, in person meetings, but they're just socially distanced, like two MPs per bench, um, and then calling. Uh, other members over Zoom effectively into the chamber. It'd be interesting to see if they uh, were to retain that because it does seem to be a little bit more uh, inclusive, perhaps. Uh, They've also, the... also all had a pay rise, I believe, during the pandemic. Yeah, so the, so um, I mean, the, I suppose MPs are also in that category of people who have done uh, okay in a way being able to work from home and and uh, have, seeing their savings rise and their, and their pay rise significantly as well not saying mps don't work hard but um it is a bit rich when you've got control over the rest of the economy's pay uh, that you don't do anything to restrain your own um i know that the the ipsa was set up the independent parliamentary standards authority was set up 10 years ago in the wake of the expenses scandal um, to basically take uh, the issue of pay rises out of the hands of MPs. But MPs could still say no, um, which personally I, I think they should do for all intents and purposes. Uh, I, think that will, I think that will be quite right. Uh, Ollie, what's your take on, 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 the, on the budget and on the uh, treatment of public sector workers in it? I mean, God, it makes me angry. Just just listening then to um, to Bradley recalling the the history of of kind of um, of health workers throughout the pandemic. It it just is such a betrayal. It's it's such a scandal. And the fact that we're not more angry about this as a country is is kind of it's making me. Making him so angry, he's put himself on mute. I thought that oh. was just me. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry about that. Um, I don't know why I left off. I think I must have hit my space bar. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> sorry, you carry on. So, uh, similarly to Bradley, I watched a clip of uh, Boris Johnson the other day. Um, he, he was just out of hospital after he recovered um, quite miraculously at a time where it was it was touch and go whether he'd actually get out with his life. And um, of many people in this country who have had really serious COVID haven't. And, you know, he was there thanking nurses by name and he was, you know, singing their praises. And effectively, as, as Bradley says, you know, him and Rishi Sunat were saying, anything you need, you know, you, you've got it. And and obviously they ran a massive campaign in, in the summer and over Christmas as well. Um, you know, clap for carers and, and they are the most important people in this country at the moment. Um, almost, almost reminiscent of... Um, 
you know, the wartime effort by by our soldiers in, in World War One and World War Two. Um, you know, they've actually gotten us through this pandemic, and you know, they've they've worked incredibly difficult shifts, incredibly difficult hours, and you know, thousands of them have died. And I think it's just it's it's disgusting the fact that they think they can get away with this, as Bradley says. Um, the fact that they look across the the bench and see no effective opposition that's willing to actually um, chair this issue and, and maybe support health like strikes like that. Um, I mean, obviously, Keir Starmer has um, said that it's, it's it's scandalous and it's it's terrible, and they should absolutely increase the pay for for health workers. But I think he only is doing that because he knows it's such a, a safe issue for him to kind of campaign on, and he's got such a a backing of of, of the the country as a whole. Sorry, can I just put in? I think you're absolutely right, Ollie. But you know, Boris Johnson's life was saved by these people. I think it. I think it's almost sociopathic to 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 have your life saved and then go on TV and uh, you know it's really heartfelt thanks and gratitude to these people and lead these claps across the nation and then to and then to not give them the absolute basic things you could give them to to give them a decent living. Like I think that's almost sociopathic. It it it's truly I think disturbing to to see a leader able to do that. I think. It really is. And many of them are, are in poverty as well, which makes it even worse. They're not even earning enough money to be able to, um, you know, live comfortably. And they, and they have to pay money to park their cars at work. It just, it makes me sick. I, I think I, I thought about that. You know, he listed all of those names, as you say, and so, someone needs to come up with a graphic or a video of, if they're willing to participate, and I hope they're all trade union members um, of Carrie and Emily and Ali and all of those people that he named, and you know, look in their eyes and uh, tell tell me they don't deserve a pay cut uh, or pay rise, rather. That would be a campaign, wouldn't it? Callum, what do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to echo everything that the the other two have said i think it's absolutely disgusting the nhs is one of the biggest employers in this country in fact it is it's one of the biggest employers in europe in lincoln and lincolnshire it's one of the biggest employers so many people are reliant on it for their wages and it's not just a a day-to-day job where you just float by you have to be emotionally invested you have to be trained up properly you are saving lives and once again this government has thrown it back in their faces and we're still in the pandemic so we're still owing them every single day gratitude and a proper pay rise and proper working conditions to look after them and they haven't got that throughout the pandemic and they haven't had it over the last 10 years the coalition government was just as bad in terms of reforming the nhs and making the the health secretary less responsible for them putting it in the hands of private sector employers which again will erode their their pay and their conditions at work. The NHS has had a bad deal for years now, and we've been standing up every single time this government and, and previous governments have tried to erode it away, and we've said this is awful, and they don't listen. And they don't listen, and they still win elections because we don't shout about it enough. These are our public sector workers. These are the people that are saving lives day in, day out. These are people that are putting their lives on the line for us. And it's not just the nurses, but it's also everybody in the NHS and beyond that in the civil service. And I think that we really have to be opposing this in the strongest possible terms. We can't now say, oh, well, it's just the Tories doing what the Tories do. It's the Tories taking nurses that have been saving lives and giving them a pay cut in the midst of a pandemic, I think that really what we need to be saying is that now is the time to invest in our NHS, in our NHS staff. Now's the time to invest in public services and give everybody working in those services proper conditions and pay. And as Bradley said about the high streets needing to recover, with it being the biggest employer in the country, surely it would make sense to put more money in the pockets of those people so that they can buy the things that they want so they can live a comfortable life, so that ultimately we have more money circulating in the economy and therefore economic growth. That's surely the thing that it seems logical to encourage, but instead it's this keeping the money or dripping the absolute finite amount that they can get away with with themselves. 
and I don't understand it. 1% is not enough because 1%, as we know, is in real terms a pay cut. So it's got to be a much bigger cut, uh, a much bigger pay rise. It's got to be better conditions. And it's got to be now the the whole working sector. Workers have got to come together and unite behind the nurses because otherwise they'll do it to other sectors. We already know that the rest of the civil service hasn't even had a pay rise for years. They've had a, a, a crap deal for a long time now. So I think it's now is the time to stand up. And rightly, the Labour Party should be standing up and siding with these people. Whether it's a, a politically controversial issue or not, I think that we should be standing alongside nurses and key workers up and down the country. A rousing speech. I'm sure we'll hear more of that. Bradley? Yeah, I just want to echo that. And I think I think it's welcome to see the Labour Party spoken out against this. What I haven't really seen is any detailed alternatives um, from the Labour Party yet. Um, so I would certainly like to see those. And I think they should be, really, they should be informed by what the public sector trade unions are, are calling for. So I think the Royal College of Nurses is, is calling for 12.5% pay rise. Um, and there are some campaign groups. There's a guy on um, Navarra Media, um, I, can't, I forget his name and what campaign he was with, but he, his campaign group is calling for a 15% um, pay rise. So I, I certainly think it's welcome to see Labour speak out against this. I want to see more and more detail from the Labour Party about what they would do um, um, for, for nurses and other public sector employees. And I, and I think really it's not it's not just about saying, oh, this is bad. Actually, we should be taking a proactive role along working very closely with those trade unions that are affected most closely by this to actually, you know, putting real public pressure to bear on the government over this. It, it's it's not enough just to sort of say, oh, we disagree with this. We do this. We, we need to, I think we should be running a very proactive campaign on this issue. Um, and 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 supporting the trade unions and, and helping the trade unions lead the fight against this. So I I, I certainly hope to see that emerge from the Labour Party over the next few weeks. Although I'm not I'm not going to hold my breath on that. I'd, I'd be interested to see um, how this development focuses minds because just before um, my contract ran out at Unison, um, I did attend a couple of meetings where they were talking about what their plan was for negotiating a pay rise um, and they had they had asked for I think £2,000 extra each year for uh, every band so in the NHS pay is banded basically and actually I think across the public sector pay is banded so you know one, two, three, five, you know, etc um, and that's how uh, pay deals is negotiated basically and what they were saying is that each band should just get a flat sort of extra two grand but there were other trade unions who are trying to negotiate for more for percentage rises and that sort of thing and what had basically happened is that they were all going off in different directions which was very very unfortunate that was a year ago and i don't know if that has contributed to the government feeling like they can uh that they can do do this but i think as i say this is such a pr disaster really or it should be for the government it might i hope that our trade union leaders will be able to kind of get around the table and actually unite around uh, a project to actually say look this one percent is completely unacceptable we want a, a blanket pay rise across the public sector not just our nurses uh, as you say, but also everyone in the in the public sector, including teachers as well, of course, uh, who have really suffered in, during this pandemic. And I think Callum also made a prescient point about the fact that we're not losing anything uh, when you do that sort of thing, because if you raise, because the the, the NHS at Lincolnshire, the NHS alone. Um, is is uh, it, it is one of the biggest employers. I think, in fact, it is the biggest employer. Um, so, if you're raising their pay, their pay, that that benefits the local economy, right? And if you throw in all the other public sector workers, that's going to have even more of an impact. Which leads us very much into our other topic, which, of course, is uh, the minimum wage, which. Uh, I, I'd actually forgotten what the actual figure was, but it's now rising to um, eight pounds ninety. Is that for is that for um, is that for twenty five year olds, Captain Roper? 
Uh, yeah, I'm assuming that's the the upper rate, so uh, still young people get shafted again um, by the government. Yeah, and this is this is another thing. Of course, the government changed uh, a couple of years ago, so it isn't just one minimum wage. It very much depends on your age. Um, so I'm just going to uh, guess up those figures, but um, yeah, it's rising to uh, £8.90, I think, for 25-year-olds, which is not even um, what the Living Wage Foundation says is a living wage anymore. So, and at the same time, in this budget, the government is freezing the tax threshold so basically the idea of that, and I think when it was um, uh, set a few years ago, for instance, if, it's, if you're earning less than £12,000 a year, you don't pay any tax on that £12,000 a year and you start paying uh, after that point. Um, if inflation goes up, that means effectively more people are going to be paying tax earlier. So... Whereas many, you know, some people with higher salaries and so on who are able to work from home, white collar workers and so on, um, have done reasonably well out of this pandemic, savings are absolutely through the roof. Um, the people that this will affect the most are working class people working in the hospitality sector, working in lower income industries that have been really hit hard or have lost their jobs entirely. They are the people who are going to be hit worse by this uh, policy. So it, it's 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 basically class warfare, isn't it? At the end of the day, uh, you can't call it anything else, can you, Callum? No, no, you, you can't really. It's it's an attack on working people. I think that what the what the recovery needed was a sensible set of taxation policies that targeted the big companies making a massive profit on the back of this. What it also needed was a proper rise in minimum wage that brought the pay of low paid workers up to an acceptable level where they could actually live a life, not just live hand, hand to mouth. I think that that's, that's the ultimate problem with what they proposed here. And also that coupled with the fact that they're not going to raise the uh, income tax threshold so people uh, get the first section of their pay tax free means that people are going to be hit by the rise in um, income, which is going to not really have a massive impact on their lives. They're going to be hit by the rise in inflation. Again, that's going to devaluate anything that they're that they're earning anything extra because it's only a small amount that they're earning extra and then they're going to be hit by the fact that this um this tax threshold isn't going up so once they cross that they then got to be paying income tax on top and we know that as a fact that low paid workers pay a bigger proportion of their income in tax than the top one percent and i think that that's unacceptable because the top 1% could quite easily have a higher rate of income tax taking off. They could quite easily have a small amount extra taking off percentage-wise, and it will not impact their lives. But if you do it to the lowest paid workers, it has a massive impact. It means that children go underfed. It means that people, again, can't afford to feed themselves. It means that they can't afford to even commute to work. So then they have to take really low paid jobs in their nearest place to their town. So that, that's, that's a serious problem. It means that there's no social mobility. It means that people are struggling. It means that people are stuck in a cycle of, of poverty. And that's unacceptable because, again, it comes, it comes back to this same point as we made in the last section of the podcast. We're given this great opportunity now to put money in people's pockets and to get them out into the economy and spending. But instead, this government chooses to not do that and instead is actually choking the economy by not giving people enough money to even live a life, let alone buy a few luxuries here and there. And I think that actually that's an important point to make because people absolutely deserve, after the year we've had, to be able to have a, a few nicer things in life, to be able to afford their rent, 
to be able to go out for a meal every so often. We're not talking about excess luxury here. I think that this is basic things that in, in the 21st century in Britain, people deserve, and certainly working class people deserve, many of which are our key workers in supermarkets, and they're doing cleaning, and they're doing all these things during the pandemic, and they haven't had an ounce of recognition from this government. So shame on the government, I say. Oi, what's your take? Yeah, I think those are some really important points. Um, and, you know, it's it's such a, a fundamental thing that people need to be able to to live, let, to live and feed themselves. And the fact that we've got so many uh, people in poverty in this country, but um, importantly as well, we've got like millions of, of children in poverty in this country. And um, another decision in the budget was not to um, agree to a, a £20 increase in um, universal credit, which is, is going to plunge 50,000 people more into, into poverty. And I think, I think Callum was absolutely um, spot on with what he was saying about how we need the, the 1% to pay for this, the people that have made the most money um, in, in the pandemic who have actually like massively increased their wealth. Um, they might have increased them if there are businesses that are um, able to continue to um, be operational during the pandemic, you know, they've massively increased their, their market share and, and the amount of customers they have. And, you know, some of the, some of these businesses are even actually willing to, um, you know, they, they want the, the government to increase um, corporation tax so they can actually um, give back and, and have some investment in, in communities and, and people. Um, and if, if any, and they were, sorry, they were saying if um, if it was going to be any business tax, let it be corporation tax so that, you know, the richest can pay for this because that's who should be paying. That's, that's who should be, you know, left with the bill of, of this pandemic. Um, the people that have made money from it, not not the people that are, are barely kind of scraping by and, and don't have enough to live. Um, and the fact that, you know, the government have... Uh, I've done this again, really. You know, it's, it's classic uh, Toryism, isn't it? Um, it? It says a lot about them. It does, doesn't it? Um, and uh, I, I think, like I say, it just doesn't make... Well, it makes sense from their perspective, right, that you attack... Uh, the, to attack the poor, protect, attack the uh, lower income people. Um, but they have made one element of their budget clearer, which has resulted in the majority, according to polling of the electorate, actually seeing the budget as fair. Um, and that is to raise corporation tax, which is currently the lowest in the world at 18%, lowest in the developed world, I should say. Um, and they're raising it from 18% to 25%, which would still make it one of the lowest rates of corporation tax. The corporation tax, it's a tax on profits, right? So if you are a, a business owner who's been badly affected by the pandemic, you're not going to be affected by that corporation tax because you won't have made lots of excess profits. But companies like Amazon, for instance, Zoom even, who have made significant profits during the pandemic, they will pay a little bit more tax as a consequence. Um, and I would say that that is, that's fair. That's actually the right thing to do. Um, and yet, and yet, for some reason, our main opposition party, nationally at least, uh, has decided to oppose it. Uh, on the basis that now is not the right time for tax rises of any kind. So to me, that almost seems like they're going for optics over substance, right? They seem to be, I mean, call me cynical, but I feel like they're, they're, they're thinking that the electorates are stupid in, say, in, in thinking that, you know, oh, if there are tax rises, it's going to affect me, even though it very clearly says corporation tax and the vast, vast majority of the public is in favour of a tax rise. Bradley, can you shed some light on that? Do you, do you, have you got some insight into what they're thinking? 
uh, I mean, on this issue. It, it, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. it, it it's bonkers. I, I just don't, I don't understand it, I'm afraid to say. Um, you know, I made an analogy a few weeks ago, I think, of, of Keir Starmer. We were talking about patriotism and Union Jacks, and, and I, I made it a, a quip about Starmer almost being like, you know, like a middle-aged man with a cap on backwards, trying to talk about hip-hop to kids. I think now at this point, the, the middle-aged man is actually doing all that, but also sort of just laughing slightly manically in the back of the classroom at this point. It, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, you know, any any attempt to, to try and think of, you know, the, the political strategy behind this, I, my brain just starts to hurt. Um, I, I suppose probably what where it's coming from is is this sort of attack to business again. You know, you saw in the New Labour. I mean, I think all, all parties at some point or another try and make some sort of pitch to business and, and, and make the argument that they're they're the most business they've got the most business friendly set of policies, um, and uh, you know Starmer and the, and the leadership team have been trying to talk up their business credentials a little bit more recently. So I I I imagine it probably comes from that a little bit. Um, you know, being able to say to businesses, oh, the Tories are going to put taxes up on you, but we're not. Um, but but it's really really poorly thought out. You know, if if you're gonna if you're gonna target anything, um corporation tax which as you say is calculated based off company profits it, it's the lowest one of the lowest in in the in the developed world and and even the even the tories proposed rises which was also over a period of time you know they're not going to hike it up tomorrow and um, even that would leave us at pr- pretty low down the rankings in, in terms of levels of corporation tax so it it's just utterly nonsensical and it, it, it's actually embarrassing at this point i'm actually a little bit embarrassed to be a labor member at this point when when Starmer seems to have chosen this hill to die on. Um, you know, we're in the bizarre situation where if if the current trends continue as they are in policy, we could actually have a Conservative Party that's more progressive than the Labour Party and, and at least some areas of economic policy when we go into the next election. What sort of world are we living in at that point? You know, it's absolutely nonsensical. Um, and I think, you know, particularly for a man that has made so much of his own leadership pitch and his own critique of the government being all about competence and efficiency, it it's particularly embarrassing in that context. I think um, th- there needs to be some serious um, shakeups in the leadership team um, and and the advisors that are advising Starmer, um, because at this point they are just sort of flailing around a little bit, trying to find something that sticks. And of course, the root of all of that is that Starmer doesn't really know what his leadership's about. He doesn't really know what he stands for. Um, I, I think you know people say he doesn't really have any value. I think he has values. You know, I think he's you know a fairly run of the mill social democrat. I think he probably quite firmly believes in various bits of, of you know liberal institutions and human rights and all that sort of stuff. And I think he probably is quite passionate about those things. But by and large, that reflects broadly the system we already have in place in this country. So if those are the things you believe in, you're only ever really going to propose tweaks here and there or, or, or extra bits of funding or, or policy changes in area. But he, he's not got, I don't think he really has a vision to transform this country in the way that Corbyn did. I don't think Sama's in the business of transformative politics. So I think when you're in a time of intense crisis, even beyond the pandemic, where you know capitalism is in is in a wider crisis anyway, uh, you know you you I think this is almost the inevitable result of a leadership that's like that that that, that isn't primarily driven by values, but he he thinks he he'll just be a bit more of an efficient person at the helm, and and will make some tweaks here and there. I think that that becomes really hard to then come up with a, a inspiring a bold narrative that appeals to the to the country, particularly when you look at the, the, the mountain that Labour has to climb to win a majority in the next election. You know, you're, you're not really going to do that but by, by tweaks and, and policy bits here and there. You, you need something quite bold. And I think I think Starmer sort of gets that, but because he doesn't have a transformative vision at the heart of his leadership, he's just sort of flailing around like with Union Jacks and will be good to business. And, and, and it all just looks a bit embarrassing, really. Um, I think it's worth contrasting uh, Keir Starmer with his predecessor on this. Um, I've got many criticisms of Jeremy Corbyn and some elements of his leadership. But one thing I think he actually got right, um, and I'll sort of refer you to the speech he made to CBI, I think it was in 2018, so the 
um, so the business, um, big business meeting of the UK, basically. Um, and it's quite funny because uh, if you, I, 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 they played it on the VAR media and, and um, they said, and, and I, when I'm listening to podcasts, um, I tend to be doing something else like, you know, the washing up or some housework or something like that and listening to it. The speech was absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, because basically he was turning around to them and saying, look, we're going to put up your taxes, make sure you're paying your fair share. And the reason that we're doing that is because we need to pay for the universities and the apprenticeships and so on, which are going to give our population the high skills that they need to stimulate business, i.e. you guys. And we also need to pay for the infrastructure that you rely on to sell your products you know, across the country and across the rest of the world. That is the sort of pitch that we need to be making when we're talking to business in that it needs to link in. And it's nothing new because that was basically the strategy in the 20th century. You have a, uh, a, a semi-planned economy where you use taxes raised out of production in order to fund infrastructure and build skills to create a higher skill economy. Um, and a more high tech one in due course. You know, it's almost Wilsonite in in that respect. But it was interesting because when they because they were obviously watching it in in, in video format, whereas I was watching listening to it audibly, audibly. Um, and they said if you watch his face, you can tell he absolutely despises everyone in the room that he's talking to. Um, and there's always that kind of visual contrast. Uh, between what the leader of the Labour Party looks like and um, what they're saying. And, it, and that's nothing new either, because I remember 10 years ago during the first leadership debates, the very first ones during the 2010 uh, general election, people who listened to those debates on the radio actually overwhelmingly thought that Gordon Brown, Gordon Brown, won those debates among radio listeners, but he lost it uh, at the, in the t- the, amongst those who watched it on TV because his image had been denigrated so much by the media. And this is, this is always their strategy. And Labour members know that, by the way, and that's one of the reasons they voted for Keir Starmer, because they looked at this guy and they go, oh, he's a middle-aged white guy, softly spoken, he's a lawyer, he's a barrister, he's got, uh, he's a sir. I heard people say, they didn't even call him a knight, they said he's a sir. You know, he's got that quiff and all of that. And he's promising to basically carry on that Corbynite uh, economic agenda. Best of both worlds, right? Corbynism with a friendly face. And uh, he's doing absolutely nothing that the Labour membership voted for. Callum, what do you think? Yeah, and and that's uh, I've heard those arguments throughout the leadership election, which was uh, a year ago now. Um, but I think an interesting point I wanted to raise was the contrast between um, local authorities that are Labour run and the national leadership at the moment. I think that um, so many labour authorities, as we know, have been strangled by the by the government and the pandemic certainly hasn't helped in terms of their funding. And yet they're still looking to help business, but without pandering to business. And I think that that's what we've got to do going forward. So it's about helping small businesses get off the ground locally. It's about ensuring the high street is a, a flourishing and healthy place with a diverse range of range of shops and outlets. And I think that that's what we should be aiming for. But the uh, national approach is to pander to the, the mega businesses, the big businesses that are, are well established and they have a very comfortable tax, tax position. And they have a number of outlets in which that they can uh, fiddle with the figures um, or they can put it into a different account or they can move it around. And that's unacceptable because actually we do need to be looking at newer businesses. We need to be looking at grassroots businesses, many of which are far more ethical. They're far more green. And actually they, they're rooted in a community and they employ people on a basis that's far more um, ethical in that sense. 
So I think the the Labour Party needs to be, yes, appealing to businesses, but appealing to all businesses and actually giving help to those businesses that have yet to establish themselves in the market and are actually looking to set themselves up in our high streets up and down the country, which need investment and they need new businesses and they need to succeed because actually ultimately people's jobs depend on that and the health of the economy depends on that. But what we should not be doing is selling out our values for a few votes because I don't think selling out to business is going to win us loads of votes. It might win us some donations, but actually the best asset, we've said it before in this podcast, the best asset to the Labour Party is its members and its activists and its grassroots support in communities up and down the country. I can't put that better than uh, myself, I have to say. And and also, as I say, we need to be listening to our trade unions more, of course, as well, which I think is the, is the note that I think we would like to kind of wrap this up on because we try to finish with a sort of positive outlook here on on what's going to go forward um, and we mentioned pretty much at the at the top of the show that public sector workers in particular are being shafted uh, by the government and uh, nurses are being consulted at the moment RCN members you know RCN Royal College of Nursing isn't generally considered one of the most radical unions they're considering industrial action um, I'm sure Unison will be, but other public sector um, unions will be. But also everyone has been, so many people, so many working class people and lower middle class people as well have been affected by this pandemic in ways that we've touched on um, across this podcast. We're also, you know, in terms of talking about the income tax threshold, the fact that we're not getting a minimum wage rise. This is probably the most irresponsible British government that we've ever had in our history, or at least since the Second World War, right? They are literally killing us in the tens of thousands. And as the pandemic comes to an end, they're making our lives economically miserable when they should be doing the exact opposite. Action needs to be taken. And I have seen some people on social media, not very many, to be fair. Most people are showing solidarity with the nurses. But one or two who uh, are saying, well, at least they are getting a pay rise. I'm getting nothing. And the thing is, the one big thing that everybody needs to do to fight back against this enormous collective injustice against the population, is to join a trade union and actually start standing up in your workplace and standing up for yourself and also for others. I think that there's huge potential for there to be solidarity between public sector workers whose pay is most easily affected by the government, but also people who are working in the private sector who have lost their jobs. I mean, the hospitality industry has been completely decimated by this pandemic. I mean, the people who own the clubs and so on have still got the real estate, although people who have got leases as well have lost them as well. There's been a huge, a huge amount of suffering caused by its government's utter incompetence, not paying people to self-isolate, not adequately supporting businesses either. So it's not just people, it's also businesses that have been affected. And when you've got all of these interconnecting, interconnecting areas in which people of different walks of life have been affected by the government, that is the time to start showing solidarity with one another. So what we need over... The next few months, next couple of years, is for people to be joining trade unions, to be forming networks, to be working together, taking strike action if necessary. And we also need proper leadership from our 
main opposition party to articulate that at a national level because when the labor movement with a small l is working well with the labor movement with a large l that's when we can all make progress and improve the lives of working people in this country of all walks of life i think that's probably a reasonable way to end it unless uh and you guys have any comments on that just to agree wholeheartedly, um, host. Okay. I didn't mean to make the concluding speech there, but I think no, we will end it with that. You did say very adequately, I think. <laughs> uh, so thank you very much for listening. Please join the Shared Union. Please stay safe. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Bradley. Bye, folks. Absolutely. Join the trade union. Do not allow the Tory strategy of divide and conquer to, to work. Um, speak up for nurses. Speak up for public sector workers. Speak up for all workers on crap pay. Um, and and make the case for all workers on crap pay to, to get a pay rise. It's goodbye for Molly. Goodbye, everyone. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And it's goodbye from Callum. Yeah, cheers, everyone. Stay safe and join the trade union and keep the fight going. And we'll see you next time.